Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Lightspeed. Hello there and welcome to the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Kincaid. The magazine is edited by John Joseph Adams. The issue this month is once again sponsored by our friends at Orbit Books. To learn more about them, visit orbitbooks.net. Also, this month we're conducting a reader-listener survey, which we hope you'll take part in. You can find it at lightspeedmagazine.com survey. It should only take 10 to 15 minutes to complete, and one participant will receive a free one-year subscription to Lightspeed. But don't wait too long. The survey ends July 31st. As for the podcast, the stories are produced by Skyboat Media, headed by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrator Stefan Rudnicki and Gabrielle DeCure. Post-production for Lightspeed is in association with Jim Freund. You can check out Skyboat Media's website at skyboatmedia.com. And on to the story. Our next offering for the July issue is Division of Labor by Benjamin Roy Lambert. The story is read for you by Paul Bamer. Benjamin Roy Lambert was born in Washington, D.C. At present, he lives in Johannesburg with his wife and newborn son. A returned Peace Corps volunteer, he has spent the majority of his career working on issues of business and development in emerging economies. He holds master's degrees in business and in public administration from Harvard University. Division of Labor is his first published story. And so ends this week's intro. So without further ado, let's make the jump to light speed. Division of Labor by Benjamin Roy Lambert Narrated by Paul Bamer No one said anything, but Sol could tell they were all a little jealous when he lost his arms and legs. The arms went first, the left one during a bath, and the right one a few days later while he was being fed. Then both legs went at once, which was rare, and Sal was proud of it. He was sitting in a marketing meeting with Glenda and Farouk, when suddenly his legs quivered, and then turned into a slightly viscous liquid that ran out of his trousers like toothpaste from a tube. The liquid ran down the drain under the table with a soft slurping sound. Rennie thought of Sal's smug face while he was doing his pull-ups and squats and planks. Sal's smug face when they wheeled him into the office the next morning in a new suit that bundled up his hips and torso like wrapping paper, just his little bald head peeping out at the top. Think of how much I'll be able to get done, Sal had said, winking through his little gold-rimmed glasses, without having to worry about grabbing things and walking places or what to do with my hands while I talk. The whole business, not just Sull, but the whole business, bothered Rennie so much he was seeing a therapist. The therapist was just a head connected to an arm by a thin strip of tissue. The head asked questions. The arm took notes. But he had a good rank 
on the value index. What is it about efficiency that bothers you so much? He'd asked during their first session. That's their word, not mine. Some of it, I think, comes from my mother. She was a history teacher. The therapist let the corners of his mouth twitch down slightly. Rennie paused for a moment and cleared his throat. A history teacher, an athlete, a musician. I could go on. That's not the point, though. The point is I grew up with a certain awareness of history and how people used to live. You know, there used to be a quality called being well-rounded. It was a compliment for someone who knew how to do many different things, not just one thing. Many different things, said the therapist, but not very well. And, of course, what do you know? When Rennie went up against Sull for the next promotion, it was Sull who won out. Don't take it so hard, said Jessie at Sull's promotion party. You never stood a chance. She leaned closer. She had a bony face and tiny, attractive eyes. I've been thinking, she whispered, about giving up math. Math? murmured Rennie, not really listening. He was staring at the dimly lit ceiling of the bar. Not all of it. I've just stopped doing my higher function review sessions every day. It's exhausting. You finish work, and then you have to go do quadratic equations. If I skip them, I have more energy, and plus, they keep increasing the tax on biomatter, so the less I cost the company. I haven't done my reviews in more than a month now, and my contribution to cost ratio is going up. Rennie's eyes had come down from the ceiling and focused on her. How does it feel? he asked. Jessie shrugged and sipped on her drink. You notice it more than you think you will. I mean, I don't do complex math problems here in marketing, but, for example, the other day I had to do an analysis on how often we wanted to run the green cherry banner ad on the Valex. I could feel myself reaching for something that wasn't there. You know, like when you haven't noticed you've reached the top of the stairs. A sudden gout of clear liquid flowed down from her left nostril and onto the collar of her shirt. Damn, she said softly. Is that how it drains? asked Rennie. The next day he came to work early, went into his office and locked the door. He was senior manager, Mid-Atlantic Marketing for Cherry Bomb International, distributor of fine cherries, cherries of all colors, flavors, textures, and nutritive values. A giant poster of their all-time bestseller, The Silver Ghost, had been tacked to the rear wall near to a small window that looked out on nothing. Rennie kept the lights off and opened the drawer. He put his hand in and groped around until he found his feeling board. He ran his fingers over it, and it woke up. The flat surface became elaborately ridged. Three circles interlocking enclosed by a square, said Rennie. Correct, groaned the feeling board's ancient vocal circuits. Rennie would have bought a new one, but he couldn't afford it. The best models couldn't be had for any price. You had to have connections. 
After he was done with the feeling board, he turned on the lights and spent a half hour reading a quarterly journal of analytic philosophy, then another half hour reading in German. He looked up when he heard a knock on the door. A slender young man with all of his parts was standing on the other side of the office's glass wall. The man waved tentatively, and Rennie shoved his book under a stack of papers, as if it was one of those dirty magazines showing giant penises sticking themselves into giant vaginas. Rennie got up and opened the door a crack. Can I help you? I'm Platt. I work one floor up in strategy. Look, I know this might sound strange, but I'm an admirer of yours. I also came to work early, and sometimes when I'm down here getting a coffee, your machine makes better coffee than ours. I see you doing your exercises. You really put a lot of effort into it. Remy nodded slowly. Thank you, I guess. I'm not trying to show off here or anything, just taking care of business. I didn't notice anyone else here. Platt gave a funny smile that was too wide. He was wearing a diamond choker that lit up when he smiled. There are a few of us who come early. I think it's pretty common, you know, for people who want to stay in shape. Rennie didn't answer. He'd spent a lot of time thinking how stupid the majority of people were, and on the few occasions he met someone who agreed with him. It made him feel uneasy. Well, thanks for saying hello, he said, and began to back away into his office. One thing I wanted to mention, said Platt, leaning forward. Yes? We have a kind of club for people who work in the building and who want to stay whole, called the Dawn Brigade. We meet every middle weekday right around, you know, dawn, on the roof. It'd be great if you could come by. Rennie said something polite and closed the office door. He didn't go that week, or the week after. When he told his therapist, the man said, It could be a good decision not to go, Rennie. Sometimes being around people who share our obsessions only make those obsessions stronger and harder to control. Rennie thought of Sull's smug face while he ran laps around his apartment, and while he copied drawings out of an old art book, and while he looked at his rank on the Valex, and saw it was down another ten places. At dawn, the roof was cold and windswept. Rennie saw a group of young people huddled by the side of a giant AC unit, and walked over to them. Only Platt was like Rennie, still with all his parts. The rest all had the usual things missing, here and there, a finger, an eye, or something else below the skin or in the skull. Rennie was surprised to see Jessie there, too. I was panicking at how big an effect losing my advanced math was having, she told him. So I tried to go back to doing my reviews, but I couldn't. You know how some people say that if you lose something you can get it back sometimes, but it didn't work for me, at least. There's just an empty hole in my head where that stuff used to be. She laughed as she was gathering herself together. Now my new resolution is to keep as much as myself as I can for as long as I can. 
Platt called the meeting to order and introduced Rennie. To start us off today, I was thinking, as someone who's been doing this a lot longer than any of us, maybe you could share some tips. Rennie stared at them. Well, he began, one thing I do is I always keep a little metal disc in my pocket. You can get something like this at a hardware store, and when I have a few minutes to spare, I do tricks with it using my hands and fingers, like this. See? He showed them. And every night before I go to bed, I make sure to memorize a string of a hundred random numbers. Then I test myself in the morning. What do you do? said a short man with dyed teeth, about the soft skills like empathy. Rennie nodded. Those are hard. Novels can be good, or going to bars and making yourself listen to strangers. You know, imagine yourself living their lives and that kind of thing. After the meeting, Jessie came up to him and asked if she could run with him sometimes. Her own apartment was too small to run in, and she didn't want to try to do it outside and get a charge for inefficient activity. Soon she was coming over every evening after work. Rennie also began to see more of Platt. Now, most mornings, the younger man would stop by his office, bringing a mug of coffee for Rennie, and chatting for a few minutes before heading back upstairs. Rennie didn't enjoy these visits, but he felt his ground for objecting was so weak that he couldn't bring himself to avoid them. If I'm not putting too fine a point on it, he told the therapist, he thinks he's better than me. He thinks I'm a nice guy and all, and he admires me for keeping in shape, but to him, if I had any balls, I'd be out on the front lines, protesting the Biomatter Act or something, firebombing clinics, hell if I know. The therapist tapped on his desk with his pen, which meant he wanted you to think he was thinking. So for this man, Platt, he said finally, there can be no separation between the personal and the political? The head smiled. Maybe what you find distasteful is just your old nemesis, efficiency, presenting itself to you in another form. After all, if you think you have found the correct way to live, which is more efficient from the perspective of utility, perfecting yourself or perfecting society? When Rennie got home, Jesse was waiting for him, and they ran their small laps together, barefoot, to keep the neighbors from complaining. Afterwards, Rennie did his strength routine while Jesse sat at his desk and checked the Valex. Sometimes it worried him that she liked to rest after running instead of working out with him. He didn't want her to lose the strength in her core muscles, like the young people you sometimes saw creeping down the street, curled up like worms over their walkers. When he thought about her like that, he felt tender. Who's got the first rank in marketing? he asked, holding a plank. It's still that Korean guy, Ji Sun Choi. Lately, all my tagged categories are pretty static. Quella Allred is still best in personal charm. Drexel Fraze is still best in strength. 
Marnie Smith is still best in engineering. Rennie let his plank go and lay down on the floor, catching his breath. A drone drifted in the window, sniffed for biomatter to collect, and drifted back out. It would be interesting, said Rennie finally, if there was one big rank in everything. Just where does every one rank in every category average together? Jessie gave him a measuring look. I don't think I'd like that, she said. It's enough of a pisser knowing how bad you are at one particular thing. A week later they would have slept together, but Jessie had lost the ability in her twenties, she told him. Rennie tried to do what he imagined a gentle, sensitive person would do. Later, he said, I want to take you to meet my mother. That first day not working, they walked uptown to a small private clinic. This was where a good portion of Rennie's salary went. A doctor who was two giant hands and a head with a swollen cranium guided them down the hall to a wooden door with a small window set into it. Through the window they could see a cozy, sunlit room. A small bed stood against the wall, and a head was lying there, attached to a feeding bag. It had no mouth, and only slits for a nose, and no ears. Small swirls of salt-and-pepper hair swept out from under a snug pink bonnet, and beneath them were two thin eyebrows and two large blue eyes. A pair of mechanical hands was holding a book up for the eyes to see. As Rennie and Jessie watched, the eyes blinked once, and with a loud whirr, the hands deftly flipped the page. Shortly afterwards, Rennie had his last conversation with Platt. Platt's visits had been getting less frequent, but he still stopped by Rennie's office in the morning, once a week or so. Did you see the top news story on the Valex? he asked. No, said Rennie. Tell me about it. Platt leaned against the wall. A massive expose on misappropriation of the biomatter, he said. Three members of the ruling body were caught on tape with clones of themselves. Rennie shrugged. Maybe they'll get recycled. But then whoever replaces them will be just as corrupt, and nothing will change. Platt sighed and flopped onto a chair. If everyone has that attitude, then nothing can really change, he said. They tell us that for maximum efficiency, all biomatter must go where it's needed most. So what's so efficient about duplicating some leech on the ruling body? He looked around. How long have you been in this office? he asked. About five, six years? Platt nodded. Five or six years without a promotion. How many times have they passed you over? A few. Platt ran a hand through his hair. See, that's the problem. I bet the guys who got promoted over you were all missing something. Rennie nodded, thinking of Sull, fat and wormy like a grub. The problem is... The only people who get ahead now are the people missing arms and mouths, people who can't see color or taste anything anymore. That's who our heroes are these days. Later on, lying in bed next to Jessie, trying to feel her stomach muscles for soft spots without her noticing, Rennie told her about how upset Platt had seemed. She turned toward him.
do you know about his family? What about them? They're rich is all. Everything that's so hard for us, he has help with. He's got private tutors to make sure he reads books in foreign languages. He even has a machine that runs electricity through his muscles while he sleeps to keep them fit. He's an interesting guy, but I think he's got a complex. His eyes closed. I've been thinking a lot about how he takes all of these issues so personally. Maybe I used to be that way and I just got ground down. Do you think I'm avoiding some kind of duty? She shook her head. No. A few days later, Rennie came back from lunch to find police tape blocking the entrance to the office. He went to a cafe and saw footage from the office security camera playing on the Valex. It was a breaking news story the first ranking news story of the hour. A group of workers were shown, standing near each other, probably gossiping. Text underneath them read, Cherry Bomb International Internal Footage. At the edge of the screen, a man appeared moving quickly, awkwardly holding his jacket shut. He stumbled, caught his balance, and just as the other workers were turning toward him, he threw something. A large plastic bundle. It struck a woman in the chest and burst, splashing thick fluid all over her and the surrounding workers. Text flashed. Man attacks co-workers with raw biomatter. In the footage, a man was lying in the center of a pool of fluid, trying to stand up as it sensed him and seeped into him. Tendons stood out on his neck. From the stump where his left arm used to be, a new arm was growing, flapping and writhing. Platt was standing over the man, screaming at him. A voice spoke over the footage. Shown here is the man police have identified as the perpetrator, Frederick Platt. Witnesses report that he was yelling, Why are you struggling? Why are you screaming? Don't you want to be whole? The footage cut to a reporter. Rennie left the cafe without drinking his coffee. The police picked him up at his apartment that night. They brought Jessie in the next day. At first she was left alone in her cell, if you could call it a cell. It was more like a well-furnished studio apartment with a comfortable bed, a bookshelf, and a small breakfast table. There was no clock to keep track of time, so she had no idea how long she had been waiting when two men dressed in powder-blue policing jumpsuits let themselves in. Each was carrying a folding chair, and they opened them and sat down without speaking. Each had a face with only a single feature. The first had enormous drooping ears that looked like runnels of candle wax going down the sides of his head. The other had giant, bulging eyes. She told them exactly what she knew and how she knew it. There was no point in holding back, Either she was innocent or she was guilty, depending on how they wanted to frame it. The man with the bulging eyes asked the questions, and the man with the drooping ears took notes. After each question, ears would pass his notes to eyes who would read them and nod before asking the next item on the list. Then there was another long period of solitude. Jesse began to feel anxious. It was hard to stay active in the small, comfortable room. It might have been easier in a Spartan cell. 
The next person who visited her looked just as whole as Rennie. He was slender and elegant, with a head of closed-cropped black hair and a crooked, flattened nose that whistled when he breathed in. Jessie had never seen anyone with a deformity before, and she couldn't help staring, taking in the way the small changes to the lines of his nose affected the expression and feel of his face. Have you heard what your boyfriend is up to? the man asked. You mean Rennie? No, said Jessie. I don't get any news in here. The man pulled a rolled-up screen out of his pocket and flattened it out on the table. It was showing the Valex news rankings. Number four was Rennie. He was on strike. Oh, no, whispered Jessie. The video showed Rennie sitting in complete stillness at the center of a cell that looked like hers. He must have been sitting like that for days, because parts of his hands and legs were missing. Jessie shook her head. He's so stupid. The man shrugged. I don't agree. Most action is waste. Just like all that running you two were doing. Yes, I read your statement. Do you know that running like that you burn off enough calories to feed a young child for a day? And for what? Just vanity. At least with no action, most of the biomatter eventually gets recycled. She went and sat on the soft bed. You look pretty fucking fit, she said. The man began bouncing on the balls of his feet and shadowboxing. I have to be, he said, in case I need to fight bad guys. He came back later. This time, Rennie was the first-ranked news story, and she could see fluid running off of him like sweat on a hot day. Big parts of him weren't falling off at once. He was just shrinking. He was collapsing into himself like rotten ice. Jesse looked at his eyes and tried to judge how much of his brain was left. Did he even know why he was doing what he was doing anymore? But the will remained. Why don't you release him? Release us? Jesse asked the man. We were going to release both of you. Then he started this nonsense. We don't think you knew anything about what Platt was going to do. You're just someone with wrong-headed beliefs. Can't you at least stop them from filming him? The man made a pained expression. Look at this jail cell, he said. If we are a security state, and I'm not saying we're not, we're definitely one on the downslope. Jesse held back from crying. When the man left, she did her push-ups, squats, and planks. She made a model of the room in her head and practiced rotating it. She didn't have willpower, like Rennie, but she was strong, too. He could only think in extremes. That was also a kind of brokenness. Finally, the time came for her to be let go. The man came back and led her through a twisting series of hallways. I guess this means Rennie is finished, she said. The man nodded and smiled. He's sent his matter back to help someone who can make better use of it. When they reached the door leading outside, Jesse stopped and looked him up and down. Don't you worry that you're holding yourself back? 
looking like that? Aren't you worried about your next promotion? The man smiled. No, he said. The rules work differently past a certain point. Then he guided her through the door, which locked behind her with a dry click. Outside it was cold and crisp. Jessie found herself standing on the sidewalk of an empty city street. The only other figure was a well-dressed man walking slowly toward her. His hand clasped a gold-headed cane. When he passed her, a single eye looked up at her wetly from the junction of his arm and his leg. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed the tale. If so, and if you find the time, please go to our website at lightspeedmagazine.com and leave a comment. Just click on Fiction, find this story, and then leave a comment there. Or if you'd like to help spread the word, go to iTunes, find the Lightspeed Magazine Story Podcast, and leave a review or rating there. And if you haven't already subscribed to Lightspeed Magazine, please take a moment to consider it and check out our many options at lightspeedmagazine.com slash subscribe. The stories are produced by Skyboat Road Company, Inc., which is spearheaded by the Audi and Grammy award-winning narrator Stefan Rutnicki and in association with Jim Freund. We also hope you'll check out Lightspeed Year One, a collection of audio stories from this podcast's first Hugo-nominated year. Look for it at audible.com. And that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Cheers from all of us at Lightspeed Magazine. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Burntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available.